there are only two Thursdays left in 2020, and this is one of them. December 24 also doubles as Christmas Eve, and congratulations to all of us for making it this far. This is the Charlottesville Community Engagement newscast and newsletter for today, and I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. Thanks for joining me for an edition of the program that takes a deeper look at how the University of Virginia Health System has rolled out COVID-19 vaccines and what can be expected in the near future. Today's Patreon-fueled shout-out is for the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign, an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the northern Piedmont. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them Lonnie Murray sent you. You too can get a Patreon-fueled shout-out for a nonprofit or a cause for a $25 a month contribution. This helps keep this experiment going and helps you get the word out about something you care about. Consider doing so today. We're now nine and a half months into the pandemic, and there are signs that one day this will all be over. This daily newsletter has its origins in a podcast I began in the middle of March to document the experience. This installment of the Charlottesville Community Engagement newsletter sort of doubles up as installments of both products, as our only story today is about the pandemic and the rollout of the two vaccines that have been approved so far. Over a million people in America have been vaccinated in the past 11 days, according to a press release from the Centers for Disease Control. However, cases continue to rise across the country, with another 195,000 reported yesterday. Over 300,000 people have died so far, and we are all watching to see if there's going to be another surge of new cases related to Christmas, just as there was a spike following Thanksgiving. Today in Virginia, the number of new cases is 4,782, the second record day in a row for the Commonwealth. In the Blue Ridge Health District, there are another 104 cases. Since Thanksgiving, there have been just over 1,800 new cases reported in the district, or about a quarter of the total number of cases since March. There have been 90 deaths in the district, which consists of the city of Charlottesville, as well as the counties of Albemarle, Fluvanna, Green, Louisa, and Nelson. At the center of this pandemic, two area hospital systems have borne the brunt of treating patients and administering the many tests that have been conducted since March. There have been over 175,000 tests conducted in the district, and the seven-day average of positive tests is currently 5.6%. But now a new set of statistics will begin to be reported as more people receive a vaccine. Among the first locally are medical personnel at the University of Virginia Health System. As of Wednesday, nearly 1,600 had received the shot. Wendy Horton, chief executive officer of the University of Virginia Health System, said they are continuing to vaccinate employees. We're in the process of getting everyone scheduled for an appointment to uh, receive the vaccine within the teams. We currently have almost 4,000 individuals sign up for the the appointments. And our goal as a a health system is to try to vaccinate all UVA health by the end of March. And that would include uh, the second dose, as you know that these uh, vaccinations require a second dose. So uh, that would include that. 
Horton said UVA has been able to get 380 additional doses of the Pfizer vaccine due to a surplus amount in each vial. UVA also received a first shipment of 2,500 doses of the Moderna vaccine and will switch to that as soon as the Pfizer supply runs out. Health workers and those who live in long-term care facilities are the first to receive the vaccines. Dr. Kosti Sifri is an infectious disease expert who has been leading up UVA's efforts. We've been um, just uh, incredibly gratified and excited about this opportunity to provide vaccine for our team members, and and they're certainly responding um, with their excitement as well. Um, This, uh, for many of us, is some of the most important work that we've done. But what next, now that there's a vaccine? There are still a lot of unknowns. At a briefing held on December 23rd, UVA Health spokesman Eric Swenson relayed questions from media folks. Let's listen in. Can you transmit the virus once you have the vaccine? Um, So that's an excellent question and um, something that we're still um, trying to learn about. So the outcomes for the clinical trials um, were... um, you know, whether it um, prevented disease and secondarily whether it prevented severe disease, um, whether it prevents um, virus replication, the presence of virus um, um, in, you know, in, in a, a state of being a virus carrier is not known yet. Um, there is some suggestion from one of the clinical trials with the Moderna vaccine that perhaps it does reduce the amount of live virus. Um, so I think there are more, that's going to be a focus as we move forward. But uh, importantly, since we don't know that answer, what um, the instructions um, are from the CDC and certainly what we are um, certainly promoting is that even though um, our team members are vaccinated, we still need to maintain um, the practices to prevent transmission of the virus, wearing a mask, um, maintaining social distance. The second question was how UVA is responding to a climb in cases at the hospital. The COVID tracker today shows 60 cases at the hospital today. What happens if that number rises with the increased number of cases across the region? We're feeling really overall well-prepared. We have an amazing team that's really come together um, to support uh, the needs of of the community and the patients that we serve. Um, Just a couple of updates. We have adequate PPE and adequate testing right now. And our approach has been um, for the last several weeks is to really care for both COVID and non-COVID patients. And at this point that remains the same. And so we're checking in multiple times a day to um, make sure that uh, we're adjusting as needed the operations to care for really all of the patient populations. The majority of patients are, are really being cared for in an ambulatory or outpatient setting, both through our COVID clinic and through uh, many programs, including our, our home monitoring program. On the inpatient side, we have seen that uptick in our COVID um, inpatients and um, just wanted the team to know that we do have a response plan and there are a series of steps and levers that we monitor every day and we're, we're titrating and, and um, making different um, plans each and every day to meet the, the various needs. In late November, the in-house publication posted a question and answer on this topic that I'd recommend reviewing. Let's continue to keep an eye on this. In the meantime, Horton said the potential for concern does not relate to supplies or infrastructure. Our rate limiting step will be our our staffing and and not really our facility at this point in time. So that's the piece that we're carefully um, looking at the skill set and the patient care needs and making sure that we're 
um, syncing those up and um, working together as a team to, to move people around as needed. Now, back to vaccines. We're currently in phase 1A of the CDC's recommended prioritization of the limited number of doses. Phase 1B and phase 1C are next, with 1B for people 75 and over, as well as frontline essential workers. Phase 1C will be for people 65 and over, people with medical conditions, and other essential workers. You know, I think it remains to be seen when those occur, um, that they'll occur under the um, um, under the guidance of the um, health department um, who will be following the CDC guidance, we would anticipate that is a state function. And um, I would predict that they would occur um, sort of in an overlapped fashion. That's certainly what's been discussed, but um, I think we need to wait um, to exactly see how that, that is rolled out. Now, let's hear some more questions. Have there been any uh, complications um, or reactions to anybody who's received the vaccine so far? Um, so, um, no, uh, there have no, there have been no serious, um, um, side effects. People have had, um, um, uh, you know, local pain and discomfort has been widely reported. We have had, um, reports of, um, three people who have had, you know, um, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, complaints after getting the vaccine, um, after they were sitting, um, um, for their observation period after getting the vaccine, two people with nausea, um, and, and one person that felt lightheaded. But that's been it so far. Very well tolerated. I got my vaccine yesterday, so um, happy to have uh, been able to get mine. Dr. Sifri and everyone else who has had a first vaccine will have to get a second dose in a few weeks. Here's another question that gets to the answer. Why are two doses required for each of these vaccines? And then why do they need to be um, given roughly about 21 days apart? This is not uncommon in terms of other vaccine series that um, you essentially give a first shot to prime the immune system and then a second um, vaccine to boost the immune system. So the, there's a priming and then boosting phenomenon. And um, this is based on the vaccine evaluation when it was going through clinical trials. It started in the laboratory and then moved into those early clinical um, phase trials like phase one. Um, and the scientists that helped develop these vaccines understood that part of immune response. They're immune experts and vaccinologists. And so that was how that was determined. And that also is why they are separated by three weeks for the Pfizer vaccine and four weeks for the Moderna vaccine. Again, uh, analysis performed during the clinical evaluations of these um, vaccines, that was what was determined um, to, to lead to the best boosting phenomenon um, for the two respective vaccines. Dr. Sifri said there are 200 other vaccine candidates in some state of development. In terms of vaccines that are in sort of late phase clinical trials, there are five um, that are um, sort of um, toward the end of that process. The two that have received this authorization we've talked about, um, Moderna and Pfizer's. And the, the three that are um, currently underway and we're waiting to hear more information about them um, um, are um, based on sort of two different types of platforms. So one are what we call vector-based um, um, vaccines. So um, two vaccines that are based on adenovirus um, platform, so the, the, the vaccine is um, contained within a non-replicating um, virus that can be um, given to um, people. There's, um, so the two companies um, are AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. The interesting thing about at least one of those products, the Johnson & Johnson, is that um, part of the clinical trial involves a single dose of, of the vaccine. So that would certainly 
um, be exciting um, if that shows to be um, safe and efficacious, um, similar to to the ones that we have on hand at now, uh, and now, just because it would be much easier to, to administer. Um, the fifth vaccine, and again, there's actually some that are just waiting in the wings, but right behind it um, is a protein-based <coughs> protein-based vaccine, and so that's by a company called Novavax, um, and um, they're um, the platform is rather similar. It's kind of a similar type of concept as what's used for hepatitis B vaccination. This time last year, to most of us, the coronavirus was something far away, a news story from China. Now, over a million Americans have received a vaccine. The next question sought to put this in historical perspective. How does the rollout of the COVID vaccine compare with other you know, vaccines for major pandemics, diseases, in terms of the length of time it took to, to get this vaccine developed and actually begin the vaccination process? Yeah, um, this is a, a landmark. It is um, unprecedented to have gone from the identification of a novel pathogen, a novel virus um, published um, on, you know, its genome was published on January 10th to have it 11 months later to have an authorized, actually two authorized vaccines that are Highly efficacious and safe. It's it's um, it's clearly a, a landmark of science. Um, now, <clears throat> um, uh, the the question is how, how fast is that compared to to previous? I think it's you know um, it, it's a couple of years faster than what has been seen um, um, typically. It is under unique circumstances, though. However, we have a worldwide pandemic with high amounts of disease. And that actually has lent itself for the development of these vaccines because we could get to the endpoints and see if the vaccine was effective rather quickly compared to you know other vaccines that are in development that may take you know years to to um, get through because it takes a while to accrue the patients and see what the outcomes were. So so it, it is um, it is unprecedented, um, but it was it's clearly the best opportunity that we have to to change the course of this pandemic. Um, other, I'll, I'll just, um, Eric, just the final thing, the, the, I think our previous experience um, that's somewhat akin to this would be the development of um, the swine flu vaccine in 2009. Um, and um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's night and day different compared to that. Um, in 2009, the development of the vaccine um, was very slow um, during the course of the pandemic, even though the technology was there and um, we were, had a very challenging time getting the vaccine out. And certainly what the hope is and anticipation is that um, that process will be um, much brisker this time. Well, I think that's that's sort of where the solve question comes from, is that this, this as you said, this amazingly fast turnaround, um, you know, for the development and delivery of this vaccine, what does that mean for the future of kind of dealing with, you know, it, down the road in the future that knowing this probably won't be the last, you know, kind of novel pathogen um, or virus that, that comes around? What will, what will this mean for, you know, sort of how we're able to tackle, uh, you know, future potential pandemics like this? Yeah, that's a really insightful question, Eric. So, um, yeah, this is um, the, this, um, the learning that we've um, had from this pandemic um, is um, important learning that we can't forget. And so um, we, we've now had the demonstration that we have platforms that were ready to develop vaccines that were ready to go. And um, by using those platforms that we were able to develop um, um, what appears to be at least two effective vaccines and hopefully more in a very rapid um, um, period of time. That um, from a scientific standpoint, the ability to have those platforms to essentially plug and play 
um, with new um, emerging pathogens is 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 quite um, um, exciting. So um, you know every pathogen, every new um, emerging um, pathogen um, will have challenges. Um, but I think um, you are right, Eric. This is not the last time that we'll see this, and hopefully we'll be able to capitalize on the knowledge that we've gained um, from this pandemic um, to to confront future challenges. And that's it for this special installment of the Charlottesville Community Engagement Newscast and Newsletter, which is really the 51st episode of the Charlottesville Quarantine Report. I put these programs together at a time when I was not a working journalist, mostly because I realized my life has always been about asking questions and not really wanting to steer the answers or steering anything in any one direction. I've always been here in my career to try to put a mirror up to what's happening and to try to understand the world that I live in for myself. And of course, that's that's a career I've tried to pick in order to benefit others in the community. If you have benefited from any of this work over the past nine months, I'm really hoping to keep going in 2021. There's a lot of exciting projects that I'm working on, and I really do believe that the kind of journalism that I can do uh, is something that will benefit the entire state of Virginia uh, at some point. I'm also hoping that I can expand my operations and train people to ask questions and to know how to get the answers. Um, it's a long road ahead for that, but as I said in yesterday's program, this is the culmination of a 25-year career in which this is simply what I do. This is what I want to do. Uh, I took a different pathway for a while. It didn't really work out, uh, but I'm proud of the work that I've done and uh, humbled by the support that I have received so far. Uh, as I said at the beginning, if you want to support my program, there are ways to do that. You can sign up for a subscription through Substack. You can donate a monthly contribution through Patreon for general research that I do. You can write me a check. Um, I'll figure out a way to get you some sort of benefit for that. Or you can send to me something on Venmo. But if you don't have funding, and that's a lot of us these days, the best thing you can do is just send this on to somebody else, post it on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. I'm going to figure out Instagram in 2021. I can tell you that. But for now... I'm Sean Tubbs. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to those who don't celebrate Christmas. Let's figure out a way to be more inclusive, uh, to really be a complete community in 2021 and beyond. This has been a trying year for so many people, including myself. And all I want, all I want is for this community, the community that my children live in, to be better than it was when I found it. I'm Sean Tubbs, your host. I'll be back on Monday with another installment. In the meantime, take care of yourself, take care of your family, and uh, do something nice for the world today.